0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program is brought to you by the Museum of Food and Drink, sparking curiosity about food with exhibits you can eat. For more information, visit
2: mofad.org. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network,
3: Welcome to The Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Heidi Turzin, wine director at the iconic Gotham Bar and Grill in New York City. We'll talk about women in wine, good psalms, restaurants and wine lists, and wheeling forward. We'll taste a 2014 Sonoma Coast Chardonnay for our weekly wine sip. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. New York born and bred Heidi Turzen thought she'd make a career out of ballet, but pirouetted her, her way right into the wine world. She oversees the 800 plus wine selection as wine director at the singular award winning Gotham Barn Grill in Greenwich Village in New York City. Welcome to the show, Heidi. Hi, Sam. Did I get that right? Born and bred in New York?
4: That is correct, yes. I wanted to
3: make sure because everything I looked at led towards that. All right. I want people to know where you came from and how you got to where you are. So tell us about your journey in life and wine that got you to the point where you are, which right now is the wine director at Gotham Bar and Grill. And keep it in the context of work and wine and influences Mm -hmm. and all of that.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me.
3: Glad to have you here.
4: Um, So I guess I started in the restaurant business um, when I was old enough to work. When I was 15, I was old enough to work. Um, So uh, I started at Friendly's, scooping ice cream. Oh, boy. (laughs) So it goes way back. Um, And
3: you didn't mind it?
4: No, I didn't. I really enjoyed working. Um, I enjoyed my independence. I enjoyed being able to... um, take care of myself i enjoyed the independence of that um so when i was old enough to i worked and i stayed in the business ever since um i worked after the after friendlies <laughs> i moved up to um catering so i started um working at a catering hall um on long island and then from there um i started working at um a friend of a farmer there's one in greenwich village they had some on long down Island. down on irving place yes it? that's correct yeah. yes um So I'm originally from Long Island, born and raised, um, and there were the friend of farmers there in Rockville Center. And so I started, that was my first um, restaurant, real restaurant kind of job.
3: Kind of a cool place.
4: Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed it um, very much. And so at this point, I was... Did um, they
3: have wine service there? They did.
4: They did. Yeah. not the same level, right? Still, <laughs> but they did offer some wine, and um, I was 17 and working there, and um, I just really, really enjoyed working. So um, I was the counter girl, ca- doing the cookies and pastries and ca- cutting, it, um, cashing out checks, and whenever a job opened up, I would always offer to help out. And um, because I was still young, I was 17, I wasn't, I was only just allowed to do that one job. Um, but then the manager really took a liking to me because of my um, hard work, and um, she offered me to fill in on the brunch shifts, and so um, I started filling in on the brunch shifts, but then on the slower um, points of the the weekend when I was doing the counter work, I would be interested in the bar, so I was still too young to do anything like that, so I would um, slowly ask the bartenders if I could learn a cocktail. So um, they would give me the recipe for one or two, and then I would study it, and then come back, and they would test me on it. And then over time, I learned how to bartend before I was twenty-one. <laughs> um, and then so time They, went they th-
3: were good guys. They kind of yeah. helped you and worked with you.
4: Yeah, it was it was, an, it was really nice. W- were
3: you tasting anything or I drinking was not, a little? Not. A liar.
4: <laughs> uh, I was not, um, but. When I noticed that some people didn't want to work the brunch shifts because they were so slow. So I was always that one in the background that when they were complaining, I'd be like, oh, I'll do it, I'll do it. So eventually, they um, when I was 18, um, the manager was over 21. So when I offered myself to work as a brunch bartender, um, they said no because I wasn't 21. But then I said, well, there's a manager that's over 21, so, so then they said it was okay. Um, so then I started from there. Um, with the bartending and learning about beverages. After that, um, college. I, I did yes. I um, I s- after that I started working at Starfish on Long Island. Um, oh, I'm sorry, left out. When I was working at on um, front of the Farmer, I started working at um, a blues bar as well, same cool. time. And then um, I would work there a couple hours, and then um, sometimes I would work it. And then after that, I went to another restaurant, Chadwick's, for some time. And then f- Fishtail, and then after that I came, um, I'm sorry, Starfish, David Burke is fish Fishtail. <laughs>
3: right.
4: And then after that, um, I was going to college and I was bartending at Where Cafe. Where did
3: you go to school, in Manhattan?
4: Um, I went to Hunter College, Hunter? yes. Okay. Yes. Um, so I, um, I was working as a bartender as I was going to college. I lived in many neighborhoods from Long Island, Brooklyn, Queens, and at this point I was living in Astoria and going to Hunter College and bartending at uh, Cafe Dosas.
3: On the Upper East Side? Yes, on the Upper East Side. Kind of a cool bistro, brasserie. Yeah,
4: way. yeah, they're, it's, they specialize in um, beers and wines from right. all over the world. At this
3: point, do you realize I like hospitality or this is cool or they're just jobs to you?
4: Well, at this point, um, I appreciated the restaurant business. Um, I was in the restaurant business with my sisters. I'm one of six kids. And so um, I was very close to my sisters and we all started working at uh, Front of the Farmer, but I was the only one that stayed. <laughs> right. Um, everybody else left the business, but I was still in it. And um, I did appreciate the hospitality, and I really, um just the food was interesting to me. And um, that's something that I started to take to first. And then I started to learn about different varietals working um, at Café Rassas, and that's what...
3: How long were you there?
4: I think I was there two years.
3: All right, so that was a springboard to sort of what became your career. But let's fill in something, because it's an interesting point point about you. You are a ballerina. Yes. Right? You studied ballet as a kid. You continued to practice. I think you still Mm -hmm. practice some workout. So talk to me quickly about that. When did that happen? Your mom said you're taking ballet classes? Uh,
4: No, actually... um I always wanted to take them, and so my mom first started me when I was younger, but um, I was the one that always wanted to continue, and so I always, always asked my mom if I could take more classes. And growing up, um, I would walk to the ballet school, so again, my independence there. So, and um, that just became my outlet as a child, and um, I continued that. Um, I was never really under the impression that you could be a ballerina for some reason. Right. It was never introduced to me something as a you career. enjoyed doing. Yeah, so, it was just so that something... was
3: never an end goal, to be a professional dancer. Right, not
4: until I got old enough and realized that right. it was possible.
3: And then you realized how competitive it was.
4: Yes, um, the, the dance world in New York City is very competitive. So
3: at some point, you're in school, you're working crazy hours at a restaurant, and you're also dancing, right? Which could be rigorous at times.
4: Yes. I was um, going to college and um, studying dance. I was also working, um, doing some scholarship programs with dance companies. So um, when I was going to Hunter, you always have those club hours. So I would take advantage of my time and go to ballet companies, take company class, come back. Right. And then I would have rehearsals, and I would um, negotiate with the bartenders (laughs) to come in later. And I would stock the bar and I would close. So I would do all the heavy lifting in order to make everything work. So I was able to dance and work and go to school.
3: All right. So we're up to the point where you're still early in the game. You're in school. You're working at Café d'Alcez. And you're there a couple of years and things kind of really materialize. What happens then?
4: While I was working there, um, I was getting ready to graduate and I was learning more about wine. Are you um,
3: 21 yet?
4: Yes, okay. I am 21. <laughs> um, and um, I started to go to school at IWSCT. And um, when I graduated, I, had, um, I still wanted to learn. And so when I was done with college, uh, that, that um, was still in me to want to continue to learn. So I wanted to go to wine school, and I started doing that. And um, while I was bartending there, I had two of the managers from Gotham who were my regulars. So, the service director and another dining room manager came in often. and This I, is at Cafe Alsace.
3: So, they must have lived up there or something? Yes,
4: I, I think okay. they did, yeah. All right. Um, and so, they would come in and I would take care of them and um, they were yeah. impressed. And so,
3: they obviously took notice. Yes, yes. But you didn't go to Gotham from Cafe d'Alsace, right?
4: Um, I did. Uh, before, I did go to Gotham from Alsace. Um, there was a short time where I worked at a, a sports bar. Okay. Um, that was when the bar was slowing down a little, and I wanted to save some money to go to Japan. And so um, I did that for, I think, six months. And I never do that, but I needed to make some money to go to Japan with one Why of my friends. Why
3: Japan? Why was that on your radar?
4: During um, my time in college, I had a lot of friends from around the world. And my best friend was from Japan, from Tokyo. And um, she invited me to um, go to Japan with her. And I needed to um, put together some money to get my plane trip over there. And um, I was there for two weeks. And that was an important moment for me in hospitality that kind of opened my eyes. Right. Um, I always appreciated, I mean, her attention to detail, her family. um, They were so welcoming. And when I went there, we would visit the temples and I wasn't... I didn't realize how to dress. I wouldn't have warm enough clothes because it was outside, and right I thought, there. yeah. And um, so I got sick. And um, <laughs> and then one night, um, she had to go see her friends, so her father was home and her mom and they didn't speak any English. Oh, boy. And so, but they were so kind and generous, and um, they made me a nice dinner, and the father really liked to drink. Um, the mother and, the, and my friend Asami didn't really drink, um, but the father was so excited to have somebody that liked wine around. Um, so... They didn't say much. We ate a nice meal, and they would talk and smile. And then he opened a bottle of Latour '82. Wow! And that was my first kind of um, moment in hospitality. But wow. it was more about um, how kind did they you, were. Did
3: you did you know what a Latour '82 then was? I knew not as much as now. You knew it was a good wine. Yes,
4: I, w- I did know it was a did good. Did it wine, make yes. an
3: impression on you?
4: Absolutely. I mean, yes. it's one it's of the great to, wines yeah. of
3: all time. Yeah. Vintage year, Absolutely. you know, winery and all that. Yeah. Did you work for David Burke ever?
4: Yes, I did for five years. Yeah. Okay.
3: When was that?
4: Um, so after um, Alsace, I went to um, Gotham right. as a bartender. And so I was- you
3: went to Gotham, mm-hmm. then you went to...
4: David Burke, yes. Got you. So um, during that time, Michael Nelson was the wine director, and um, we were friendly, and he introduced me to um, David Burke, the David Burke group. And so from there, I went on to work for David for five years.
3: Five years. And you ascended to beverage director? Yes.
4: Um, I started as a SOM. A som and then um, David one day asked me if I wanted to take over the program. And then I did for the um, the flagship townhouse. And then he then um, wanted to see if I would like take over the group and... Um, unify the programs um he would like he wanted to see consistency with the cocktails the bars and the wine list so that was my job
3: were you ready for that
4: um you
3: were willing to do it not sure if you're ready but you you (laughs) yes you put your head down and did it
4: well he said can you do it and i said yes and he's like well first said will you do it i said yes can you do it yes and he's like all right go
3: so bookend questions you leave gotham because there's nothing for you beyond being a bartender. This was a good opportunity, right?
4: Yes. Gotham, um, in in the handbook, it says that in order to get promoted, you need to leave oh, okay. and come back. It,
3: so it wasn't discouraged. David Burke, the thing came up, seemed like a good opportunity.
4: Yes. They were working with me to find other... Um, other positions at Gotham but the opportunity for David Burke came up and that was as a psalm so that's something Did I they bug to
3: you within the five years at some point towards the end to come back or
4: yes um I started just to hear from different people that they were looking for somebody at Gotham and then I just kind of brushed it off because I was already there and I didn't right. even think and then after um a few times of people saying it to me and then telling me I should really look into it I already heard somebody else had started I wasn't really thinking I wasn't looking and then um and then the owners reached out to me, and, um, and then we had, I uh, think, four interviews.
3: Uh, it was a process, right? It was a
4: long process, yes.
3: What, what period of time went by from when they first spoke to you to when they hired you?
4: I think, um, I want to say it was two, two months
3: why so long? It's um, like, hey, this is me. You want me or not?
4: <laughs> no, I think they knew me. They already had known me. Right. And then I had to interview with each owner, and they weren't always available. And it was the summer, and then I had a trip to Burgundy that was going on. And so that's kind of what held it up. And then all the owners came in together, and, um, and that's when I had and to meet with all
3: of them. We're going to get into this a little, but first woman. To take wine over Wine person over there. Yes. Now, is it the same ownership then as now?
4: Yes,
3: yes. Because, and we'll get into Gotham specifically later, but one location, one chef, mm-hmm. same owners, you know, iconic place, which is amazing. Do you remember early on then, I guess David Burke and as you were ascending in wine, what were your personal favorites in wine? What were you, I know you tasted the Latour in Japan, but... Mm-hmm. What were you like in then?
4: Um, my palette definitely changes over well, the years. Well, I year know second. that. <laughs> I'm curious
3: early <laughs> yeah. on if you can remember. And then yeah. as we go down the chain, we'll see how it changed.
4: When I was at um, David Burke's, um, we were working on consignment a lot. And one of the collectors, who was also one of the owners, he had a huge collection of Bordeaux So um, there were Bordeaux's. And, um, Not what they
3: had. What you liked. Did you oh, like the Bordeaux? I did.
4: I did. What because else? What I mean, <laughs> so
3: Bordeaux's because they were around and available. But I mean, was there anything? Yeah. Uh, Rhone wines or Rieslings? Mm-hmm. I mean, did anything jump at you early?
4: Yes. Um, well, from my Alsace days, the Rieslings for sure. Okay. That was. Um, I didn't grow up with a wine making. Fa- I didn't grow up with a wine drinking family. So um, Riesling to me, in when I was in Alsace, to taste older Riesling was kind of eye opening because. I didn't know.
3: Amazing. Yeah. And Psalms so that, love Riesling.
4: It's so good. <laughs> yeah,
3: it really is. I, I, I try to promote it. I had Paul Greco on a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Boy, does he reek Riesling.
4: <laughs> he does um, like
3: it. And as the summer's coming, even though it's not a seasonal wine, right. it's just a good wine. We it's always so talk about it. All right. So you go to Gotham, what, to go back the second time, 2013?
4: Yes. And
3: that's almost four years ago. You've been there since running and building the program up. And we said earlier that you were the first woman to run Mm -hmm. the wine program there, right? So here's my question. Let's talk about women in wine. Um, New York's a great place. I have a feeling that there are more women in wine in New York than other markets. Mm -hmm. But less than 15% of all Mm Psalms are women. Why is that? And, and, you know, how do we change that? Yeah. <laughs> what do you th- I mean, what's your personal views and feelings on that?
4: Yeah. Um, I don't know why there aren't more women. I, I don't know if it hasn't um, attracted them, but for myself, I, um, I think sometimes there could be an error. There could be a little bit of um, um, some arrogance <laughs> Uh, some, You know, it's a tough industry. And... Well,
3: culturally, it was a male-driven business. Yes. We'll lay that foundation down. Yes. You know, like banking, in a way, it was always a guy's club, Wall Street. Right. Um, so that was the culture, and it changed a little, but...
4: Well, it's hard to, when there's a boys' club and you can feel that energy, and you have to really prove yourself and have your, your voice heard, and um, that's something that I think for any career... Could be difficult, and so um, that might be something that would steer women away from it. Right, and I definitely have seen that, and have seen my share of that from um, from the guests to people in the industry, um, and that's something that I was aware of coming in, and I could see that around me, and I think that the ballet world had given me the tough skin to not um, take it to heart and just very focus. rigorous, yes,
3: very focused and yes. all that. So in a way, the ballet thing helped. One hundred percent. Do you think wine naturally appeals to, like, male sensibilities, like it's a guy thing? I mean, (laughs) I don't believe that and screw that, but do you think that was one of the underlying things?
4: You know, um, I think that men, for the most part, In America, um, they are the ones that um, are buying the big wines, they are the collectors, and they are the ones at the table ordering, they are the ones at the table paying for the most part. It's still a guy's club
3: that way. Yes,
4: and I think that once we start seeing more um, women that are interested, that are out there, that are collecting, going to auctions, that are, it may change it, but I think that women are interested in it as well. So it's
3: changing, it's early, we're not there yet.
4: Um, yeah, we're not there yet. But in no. New
3: York, I mean, there's some great sommeliers and programs that are, you know, run absolutely. by women. I'm sure if you went to other cities, but I think in New York. Yeah. Do you, is there still sexism among your peers and with customers? I mean, do customers <laughs> still look at you and say, you know, where's the wine guy?
4: Yes, yes, absolutely. Still. Yes, Yes, yes. Um, I think the way that I here it is different now um, when I was younger where I was really trying to prove myself and I would go to a table and a gentleman would look me up and down and ask for the psalm again um,
3: you were a little intimidated I, yeah. yes and I, now and, give me how do you handle it
4: now um, when I approach a table and they do that I just um, I just brush it off and then I look to the person somebody else who seems like they want that they're the ones having the conversation or not the person that is looking me up and now
3: Right, you're also a hospitality professional, so yes. you have to keep that in mind. Yes,
4: always. Um...
3: Do you think women women are so much better at men than <laughs> at, at so many things, and men are better than women? So. Do you think women have better palates than men?
4: Oh, I I mean, there's um... nothing.
3: <laughs> statistically or clinically that says that right
4: no not that, i mean people have said different things um and i have had guests, what do you hear well some guests will say she has a, a better um nose she can she'll be able to, she'll taste the wine they have a lot of husbands okay. prefer their wives taste the wine um but um i i don't probably really not. know
3: i just i didn't know there was yeah. an answer Tell me what it takes to be a great sommelier. You've been doing it, you know, at every level. Mm-hmm. What are the things day in, day out, mm-hmm. you know, that are important? And you're at a place, it, it's, it's a unique place. It's not casual. It's not super fancy. It's right in that great spot where service is important, mm-hmm. not underserved, not overserved. Tell me what it takes to be a good sommelier.
4: Um, I think it's number one, knowing it's about hospitality. And, um, and knowing that um, guests are coming from all around the world or, and they're coming for an experience. And there's it, it a part of psychology when you're taking care of, um, when you're in the restaurant taking care of guests. But being a good son is really listening. I think um, when a guest tells you what they like, try to really hear what they're saying and not what you would like them to have. Um,
3: so listen. Listen. It's not about what you want and what you like.
4: Right. Um, listen. Patience. Um, being able to get your hands dirty.
3: Um, Are most people in that good spot where they just want you to help them and they're not know-it-alls? Or, with the guests? Yeah.
4: Oh, yes, especially if you have regulars. It's so nice when they come in and they just they just tell you to pick something out right. for them and give you a price point. And you want to give them the best bottle and you know what they had the time before, so you want to give them right. a new experience.
3: But with newer people, you really have to get into their heads.
4: Um, With newer people, yes. And and understand their palates. And you have to win them over still. So that's something. Um, With new guests, absolutely.
3: So what are things to win people over?
4: Well, they like something to bring them a wine that they would like to drink that is what they're asking for. And if you're going to bring them to something that is different or eye-opening, that it is something that they would like. So for me... Depending on who the guest is, if they're there to really wow their guests, if it's a client that they want to show that they are treating them to a very nice bottle, finding that bottle, or if it's a guest that wants to find a, um, a small producer in Burgundy that just wants a nice deal, um, and finding that. and um, So you
3: really have to read the table and the people and what their intentions are. Yes, absolutely. It could be a bunch of friends, or it could be business guys, mm-hmm. different intentions and yes. all of that. So in a sense, besides being a hospitality host, you're an educator. Yes. True?
4: Yes, absolutely. Really All case.
3: Right. So you've been the wine director at Gotham Bar and Grill for about four years. Um, I think it would be best for you, not me, to tell us, frame it for us a little, why Gotham is so unique. Mm-hmm. You have a wine program in a restaurant you know, that supports this amazing space and chef and, mm-hmm. and wine program. Why is Gotham so unique? what is it 40 years later 35
4: 34 Yeah. yeah gotham is a beautiful uh beautiful space for one um kind of hidden on 12th street you walk into this big grand room um that's just beautiful to see but to experience um you're you walk into this room in these super high ceilings and gorgeous setup where the attention to detail in the restaurant is um really important to us um each table is lit with the light in the center of the table coming from the high ceilings um just the decor alone for me I really enjoy I enjoy wa- working there because it doesn't feel heavy it feels right. light and open it's airy yeah. and all that and it feels like New York yes. you walk in it's very like quintessentially yes. <laughs> New York
3: downtown Absolutely. too it's yeah. start- one of the things I noticed the bunch of times I've been in is the artwork changes is that true?
4: Yes. Um, we worked with a, um, um, a gentleman named Martin Friedman, who was a very a much older gentleman um, who was an art curator. And he did um, put some artwork in there every now and then. Was he a customer? He was a longtime customer. And
3: he was an art curator. Yes, he was a very
4: um, important man in the art world. And he was a regular with a house account that came almost every night. Wow. Yeah.
3: So um, he would... Loan, consign, sell? What? Well, it
4: wasn't just him. Um, he was one that I, it was on my mind because he recently passed away. Right. Um, but the, they very much um, do like art at Gotham. So um, from the GM to Chef Alfred Bertelli, they do have a liking to artwork, so they try to bring It's part of in, the feel. Yes. And I wanted to mention, too, what makes Gotham special. Um, the food is excellent. I've been there, and I know I work there, so I I... Always did like it, even when I did leave. But the chef has been there, and his um, and the the chefs that work under him have been there for years. Um, chef Acinto has been there, I think, for thirty years.
3: Alfred Portelli came. Well, Alfred- A year after the the owners bought it and brought him in. Who were you mentioning? Oh,
4: and then he also has other gentlemen, the sous chef, and other that have um, that have been with him for years to make sure the food is consistent. So I think consistency in New York City is very important. You don't get that many chances. There's too many restaurants.
3: I think Alfred Portale has influenced a lot of chefs on the scene in New York and in the country. Mm-hmm. I think he may have been the guy that invented high food.
4: Yes. <laughs> where
3: he would plate something and mm-hmm. it would kind of, you know, shoot up and all that. I think he's still revered by everyone today. Um you're being a little humble in the sense, you know, that it's a unique place and you described it well, but the restaurant's received 3 stars on 5 different occasions. Yes. Which mm-hmm. is a pretty big deal. It's carried a Michelin star, which is, you know, hard to get. And I think the Times called it one of the most important New York City restaurants of the past 40 years. Yeah. You know, that's, that's high praise. And I think the bigger deal is same chef, same mm-hmm. location, same quality, same mm-hmm. reputation and all that. So that's the backdrop for your wine program, yes. which is pretty nice. So the program, wherever I look, said there's over 800 selections. Yes, yes. What does that mean? There's eight hundred different,
4: different labels. There's labels. different wines, yes, um, and different vintages. of different right. Wine. It could
3: be the same wine, fifteen different vintages. That would
4: yes. The program has um eight hundred labels. Um, depending on the season, I might increase or um, decrease. And um,
3: so, wait, what's the predominant focus of the wine? There has to be a predominant focus. The
4: strength of the list is um, France. So French wines are the dom- uh, dominate the list. And then Italians and American. We sell a lot of those three. We do have a...
3: Was that always the case? Did it evolve? I mean, did you tweak it a little? Because you're <laughs> entitled to yeah. when you come in.
4: Um, every wine director had, has put their touch on the wine list. Right. And um, we haven't had that many. So if you think about the people that have been there from Michael Greenlee... To um, Michael Nelson, I mean, or even if you start before that, Scott Carney, and so everybody has had their every wine director has had their touch on that list, and uh, it's beautiful in that way. Where I still have a couple of bottles at the warehouse that I know um, one of Michael Greenley might have brought in, and it's cool, great. It's uh, fun to find yeah. these wines, and so it's it's a collaboration of all of us together. But if, I think since I've been there the um the french wines may have increased a little. <laughs>
3: okay. So the big three are french, american, italian. Yes. French being the dominant. Mm-hmm. If you push those three aside, what's Next. been showing a lot or what have you brought in or
4: American wines. Oh, I mentioned american wines. Yeah. Um i brought in...
3: Different regions Aust- of America. Wines
4: from Austria, you know... and... Rieslings. Rieslings yeah. and all that, okay. um, A few reds um, I'll bring in from Austria as well, but they just they just don't sell, so they'll sit on the list, and I do want movement, so I'm very um, conscious of making sure that the list has wines that also So move.
3: you were going to get into it before, but, you know, now you can answer for me. So how do you select what wines go on the list? Mm-hmm. How often do you change it? I would guess seasonality the food Mm -hmm. um and do you pay attention to the menu i mean you collaborate
4: uh yes absolutely the chefs are great whenever a new dish so how do
3: you manage you know 800 you things fall Uh off you add things
4: yeah um well for the cuisine for the menu when, I'm, when it changes seasonally, wines by the glass change with that. So I pair the wines by the glass to what's on the menu. And so that's one area. And then for the wine list, um, changes happen every day. So prints of the wine list will happen three times a week, but changes, rotations. Um, and then I'll look for what is a hole on the list if I need to increase more um, Oregon then I'll start to focus on that section. Or if I need to do more uh, Southern Rhone, I'll start focusing on that. So looking at the list, but pretty much um, what the guests are drinking. Or That'll dictate. That will, yes. And, but um,
3: there's so much wine and so many sales guys, and yes. you have a large list. Mm-hmm. I'm always curious, what does it take to add a wine? You just answered it partially by customer and the psalms and that's right <laughs> what you like and all of
4: yes exactly because what you like you really I mean love, is it so. a process
3: of knocking off to add or are you just no? Kind there's of so much
4: movement it, it's so busy and consistent that when i first started um it was just on another level of volume that i was shocked at how i had to order things so frequently and that i just ordered five cases of a wine by the wow. glass and a week later i'm like to, I wasn't ready. I w- didn't realize that it went through that much. Wow. But um, so there's so much movement that I don't have to really wait for something, unless it's really kind of geeky and weird that right. it's going to sit for a while.
3: So within French, mm-hmm. is it where's the skew Bordeaux or Burgundy? Burgundy. Burgundy. Mm-hmm. So it's a Burgundy place.
4: We saw a lot of white Burgundies, and then red. Right, well, yeah, and I mean, then because the, the red, the
3: gray, white wines yeah. are Burgundies. Um, I looked at the wine list and i noticed i added up with my fingers mm-hmm. 30 35 wines by the glass yeah i've drank a lot of wine been in a lot of wine restaurants looked at a lot of wine list to me that seems on the higher end mm-hmm. is 35 glasses typical for a restaurant like that or is that pushing it a little um
4: well in that wine by the glass offerings there's also um Dessert, fortified wines, everything, and dessert wines, champagne, yeah.
3: white, red,
4: and then I have some Coravin higher end wines as well. So um, those don't move as as often. But you've
3: been in other restaurants. Is thirty five wines by the glass? Is that? I don't
4: think so. I think no? it's okay. Yeah, I mean, no, I I'm not want judging <laughs> it. I'm just curious <laughs> yeah. if
3: most restaurants carry that many wines by the glass. From I what think so. They do. Yeah, because I, I, even
4: at times when I get a new dish, I'm like, oh, I need to add a new wine by the glass. <laughs>
3: I, uh, I I thought it seemed like a little more, but what do I know? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So you have your list. You have your clientele. You know what they drink. Besides that, what wines and regions are exciting you right now?
4: Mm-hmm.
3: I mean, is there anything in Burgundy, Marsanne? You know, or
4: yeah,
3: beyond what you carry, or there- yeah. Tell me what.
4: Well, one of my first loves is Rhone as well. And okay. One of my loves is Rhone. So I've always enjoyed their wines. Um, when I was going oh. to IWCT, that was one that was one of the first ones that I enjoyed there.
3: What do you like? Cote Rotis?
4: Yeah. I like Cote Rotis. I like Jamel, I like uh, Jable. I like um uh, Vernet, Um, um that's,
3: that's Northern Rhone?
4: That's Northern Rhone. Yeah. And I like Southern Rhone as well.
3: Like Northern more?
4: Uh, yes, Northern Run. All right, so Northern
3: give me an emerging or an interesting or something sort of off the Gotham chart that's interesting to you right now.
4: I also really like wines from Jura. I think it's a cool place. There's a lot of nice wines coming from there. I appreciate um, I appreciate the organic practice happening there. I think that they, they do have a lot of um, fun wines that are delicious, and um, it's a beautiful place. I traveled there um, last uh, last September, and it was really um, one of my favorite moments yeah. of my whole trip. It's,
3: I'd say the Loire, Jura, all yeah. those places. So what happens? You have a clientele that expects a certain list. It's not your crusade to push Jura wines on these people. You introduce a few.
4: I do have some on the list, right? I do, and I do offer it at times. Right. Um, the Pelican Tiso I have on the list, and those, if it if it fits what they're asking for, and if it fits the what they're eating, then absolutely, I would.
3: But you stay in your main wheelhouse usually.
4: Oh no, no, whatever no? fits okay. for them. Yeah, I really that's reading the guest again. I I know it's there. I just don't have as much request sometimes.
3: All right, we're going to take a break in a few minutes and do our wine list. But before we do that, I think under your direction you helped bottle a house mm-hmm. pinot noir yes do you still do that
4: yes i tell
3: us what it is the <laughs> yeah. story when it happened yes the wine.
4: um i i started my did my first blend um for, um gotham under 12 east 12 that's the, the brand the, the, the brand. address
3: is 12 east 12 yes the brand name is 12 yes. east 12
4: and the producer is chapter 24 in oregon
3: okay. Willamette valley
4: so the first blend i did there with lou Michel leger belair from lightweight
3: burgundy. right <laughs> i mean one of the great burgundy yeah, guys right
4: awesome yeah he's a really great guy um so, so
3: you and him literally went to oregon and or
4: yes we were in o- oregon together and um I did all the barrel sam- samples together with him, did it all on my own first, and then he did his, and then I came back and I gave the information of what I wanted for the blends and um, from there the um, blending process started where he would guide me on what he thinks would be nice for the blends and then I would tell him which one I preferred or didn't. Um, so that was the start of the 12 East 12 Willamette Valley 2014.
3: 2014.
4: And then I did um, the next year I did um, 12 East 12 Shea single vineyard with Louis again.
3: Shea the vineyard?
4: Um, so it's 12 East 12 Shea S H E A Vineyard, yes, vineyards, right, and that's a in Oregon. In Oregon, and again with Louis Michel, and um, that one I really fought for because I wanted that that Shea, and it is um, it's a nice contrast to the fourteen, which offers a little more fruit and it's a riper vintage.
3: So, what's the profile you're looking for? If I had a guess before mm. you answered, it would be a little bigger Pinot than not, because I think the clientele. What, what was your goal? What type of wine did you want to make?
4: The goal that I was attempt- the goal that I wanted to make for the um, Pinot was more towards the Shea profile, the okay. second one. I wanted it which is
3: what give a a soft, me a couple of descriptions.
4: Uh, red fruit, more Burgundian in style, a little bit more of that cherry and mushroom, but a little more soft um, and elegant.
3: Cherry fruit. Yes,
4: elegant, and um, the alcohol to be balanced, and if for it to complement the cuisine and not overpower it.
3: Not to ask you. Which is your favorite kid? But the <laughs> Shea expresses more of what you wanted to do.
4: I also made a twelve East Twelve Chardonnay with Walter Scott.
3: Ah, um, so small Candace, producer, wa- yeah. a good guy. He,
4: they make some really, um, really nice Chardonnays. Um, so I uh,
3: tasted his stuff at the Grand Cru so tasting. Good, yeah, yeah, yeah. he was there,
4: and he's he's worked for Eveningland in the past. Yeah, and now he's um, yeah. started Walter Scott. So Shea would be my favorite.
3: <laughs> so if you go to Gotham. You could taste their own Pinot Noir. It's the 12 East 12. Yes. And Heidi had a heavy hand um, in making that. And can you buy it?
4: You can if you go to um, Chapter 24's website. They okay. sell it there.
3: All right. And it's a reasonably priced wine. It's not a crazy priced wine. Right?
4: Yes. Um, on our wine list, the um, 12 East Willamette Valley 2014 is 72 a bottle. And the Shea single vineyard is 120 a bottle.
3: There you go. All right, we're talking to Heidi Turzen. Heidi is the wine director at Gotham Bar and Grill in New York City. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to subject Heidi to our wine list. You're listening to The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network.
1: I'm Dave Arnold, the host of Cooking Issues on the Heritage Radio Network. We all know and love Chinese takeout dishes like General Tso's chicken and egg rolls. But here's the thing. Even though we call it Chinese food, it's not like the food you'd find in China. What's the story behind this cuisine? And how did it become so popular that you can find a Chinese-American restaurant in nearly every town in the country? The answers may surprise you. Visit the Museum of Food and Drink in Brooklyn and see our newest exhibition, Chow. Chow making the Chinese-American restaurant. Chow engages visitors with compelling accounts of how Chinese immigrants overcame racism and created Chinese-American cuisine. Discover the science behind the flavors of your favorite takeout dishes, feast on rotating tastings developed by the country's most talented Chinese-American chefs, and try your hand at writing your own fortune, which will be baked into actual cookies by a 1,500-pound fortune cookie machine. But what better way to learn, connect, and eat? You can visit Chow at the Museum of Food and Drink on Fridays through Sundays from noon to six. Tickets and more information can be found at mofad.org. All
3: right, we're back. We're back with Heidi Terzen. Heidi is the wine director at Gotham Bar and Grill on 12th Street in Greenwich Village in New York City. We are now going to subject Heidi to our wine list, which is a bunch of questions probing our guests to see what they're drinking and different trends. You ready, Heidi?
4: Yes. All right,
3: it's all easy. All right, what are you drinking now? What's at home? What are you tasting when you go out? What's mm-hmm. reoccurring?
4: Austrian Rieslings.
3: Austrian Austrian Rieslings. Yes. All right, so give me a couple of producers that yeah. you're enjoying and to look out for. Uh
4: Pichler is a great one.
3: P I C H L E R.
4: Yes. Okay. Pikler's great. Um Yager, J A G E R. Yager. That's another one. Uh canole, Knoll,
3: K N O L L. Knoll. It's pronounced Knoll. Yes. Yeah. Now give M-R-A, me canole. Those are the beautiful crazy labels, right? Yes, the they are really kind of gothic yeah. looking, yeah. Give me the wines you mentioned. Have multiple offerings. Give me a price range on the lower end to the higher end.
4: I want to <coughs> say, well, um, the people you could probably po- find it for between twenty-five to hundred. So
3: you could start at Austrian Rieslings in the twenties, and like any wine, you and could also st- Gruners, yeah, right, the Gruners. All right, give me your, not anyone else's, your favorite wine and food pairing. What's mm. something that love to drink wine with when you eat that you've Uh. done over and over and (laughs)
4: over? Um, I'm going to say a really crisp bright Riesling with oysters um, or a beautiful white burgundy with uh, fish just maybe like halibut Um, that's something that I kind of have quite often. (laughs) It's
3: nice to hear Riesling with oysters because we get a lot of champagne yeah, and we get muscadet. Mm -hmm. But Riesling is as good a choice. Give me not a specific brand, but a dry Riesling with good acidity is best with oyster. What what type of Riesling?
4: Mm. Profile. Well, I would say, um, a fetish peel, Riesling, um, do something that's young, um, You can even do something with a little bit of age. You could do like a 2014.
3: But a young would work. Yeah. Okay. All right. Besides Gotham, your favorite wine restaurant and or bar. Mm -hmm. I want you to pick a place that is terrific, but the skew towards the wine service, the list, all of that is, you know, great too.
4: Oh man! <laughs> you're not I mean, gonna incriminate
3: yeah. yourself. You're not picking favorites,
4: yeah,
3: and this is just now it could change. It was different,
4: yeah um, uh, Charlie Bird's doing a great job, you know um, a restaurant
3: with a great wine yeah. program
4: um i I always like la Bernardin. you know um, la it's Bernadette beautiful service that.
3: You know what? You gave me two ends of the spectrum. La yeah. Bernadine is arguably one of the great restaurants in the world mm-hmm. with some of the greatest wine people and the greatest wine list. Charlie Bird is a newer, hip place with a different menu with a very cool eclectic wine list. Yeah. Those are good choices. Thank How you. about any wine bars? Anybody doing it? Um, Caleb's wine bar is awesome. Caleb is great. So, he was in a few weeks ago. Yeah. Um, all right. Good choice. So that's company... Uh, du Vien Surnaturel. Yes. All right. Give me your favorite all-time wine. Was it that Latour in Japan, mm. or was it something else?
4: I'm gonna say. Uh, I guess I, I'm. I'm gonna say the uh, Rousseau, 1990 Chambertin. Has, the Armand
3: Rousseau, yes. 1990. Yes. Chambertin. Mm-hmm.
4: That's and that my number one.
3: Where was that? Drank, drunk, or drinked
4: at Gotham. At Gotham, there is how a, long ago? Um, that one was last year.
3: Okay, um, that a knocked you off your seat.
4: It was ridiculous. It was insane.
3: So, give people a perspective. The retail on that would be Oof. what? Oh my gosh, <laughs> twelve hundred, two thousand, um, nine hundred, fourteen hundred. I'm
4: gonna say like between a thousand five and two. Right. A, um, one of the regulars, who's a huge collector, came in and he was having a big party and gave me a huge glass of it and kept wanting it was awesome good guy yeah
3: that's a good choice Heidi.
4: that's a pretty good wine (laughs) all
3: right now dig into your mental rolex and help my listeners with this one best wine around 15 bucks retail not your wheelhouse Mm -hmm. dustin wilson was in last week perfect guy for that yeah but you've been around wine give me a red and a white that drinks incredibly well that is in that price range.
4: All right. Um, I'm going to say we could find a Petite Chablis okay. for the $15 white.
3: Petite Chablis, mm-hmm. which is white burgundy, <laughs> Yeah. in a way. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. no, I left because burgundy again. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but can you get Petites for 15 20 bucks? 20 I
4: feel like I've been seeing more of them. Okay. Um, but let me think. Um Um, All right,
3: let's come back to that How about a red?
4: A red, um, an Oregon Pinot
3: Oregon Pinot, not yeah. 15 oh, 20 bucks.
4: Uh, okay, um, I'm going to say Veemer Riesling for the
3: $15 New York State
4: Herman Veemer Riesling, New okay. York State Finger Lakes Riesling
3: I think you're on to something there So
4: that's one um, Veemer
3: is a great upstate producer mm-hmm. Okay. Maybe a
4: Burgoy Cab Franc from Loire. Look for a Loire. Okay. Red. How do you
3: spell Burgoy? Uh,
4: okay. <laughs> uh, B o u r g e i l.
3: Okay. Wait, G u i wait i g l. I'll look it up. I'll, um, I'll post it. Goo. How about did we do a red?
4: Uh, we did the Burgoy, the um, the, bur- the Cab Burgoyne. Franc from Loire. You can find a nice Okay.
3: Together. All right. Good job on that. Thank Last you. question. Are there other Psalms you admire? Are there people Uh, from the past, present, that
4: are. I mean, there's so many great Psalms in New York City. Anybody. It's such a nice community. Um, Pascaline is awesome. I love Pascaline. Pascaline's great. Um, AJ from Lamb's Club is a sweetheart. Um, The entire Liberna Den, Aldo Sam and his entire team are sweethearts. I love them. Um, Andrew Rostello from 11 Madison. Um, And of course, Yannick Benjamin. (laughs)
3: All right, so that's a good segue for me. Let's talk about Yannick Benjamin. Yannick Benjamin is a prominent wine person on the New York wine scene. And it just happens to be Heidi's husband yes. for about a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so Yannick has been at wine for a long time. What influences On wine, did he have on you? (laughs) Let me guess, Burgundy.
4: Um, no, he's um, actually, he brought more Italian wines into um, okay, to me, definitely more Italian wines, and um, and I would say I was a little snobbier with my wine selections. He would open my eyes to, um,
3: so he was more democratic and (laughs) pedestrian about it.
4: I guess you would say. Okay. (laughs) Um,
3: so he was a good guy about that. Yeah. All right. So Yannick. is well known around the uh, New York wine scene. Yannick also co-founded an organization called Wheeling Forward. W H E E L I N G, Wheeling Forward. And Heidi, I want you to talk a little about you know what Wheeling Forward is, why mm-hmm. Yannick is involved, and mm-hmm. there's some stuff you know that's going to be happening with that.
4: Yes. Um, so. Yannick is the co-founder of Wheeling Forward, which is a nonprofit um, that helps people with disabilities live everyday life now. So it helps them to get back to everyday living. So a lot of um, organizations search for a cure, which is excellent. Um, but what about the people that have disabilities now that need to learn how to deal with their new bodies and how to survive in the world still? So they help them get back to everyday life, and that includes... Um, Education, nutrition, um, wheelchairs—to find them the right chairs that fit their bodies, they're able to move in. Um, if they don't have the income, a lot of they—they um, they may not be able to afford these things. So, um, Wheeling Forward works with lower-income um, individuals, and they also have um, opened the first accessible gym in Manhattan, and that's called the Access Project. And that's the first accessible gym where they have adaptive sports. Um, where is it? That's in um, Harlem. Nice. And um, they have spin classes that led by Yannick at times um, with hand cycles.
3: let me ask you a direct question. Why did Yannick found this and why this particular thing? There's a reason.
4: Yes. um, Well, Yannick was injured in 2003. And I think when... As a young man. Yes, yes, um, 25. Right. And um, when he was in the hospital, he was with his um, co-founder, Alex Alagunin. And um, during that time, they've noticed... Is
3: that where they met? That is where they met, the hospital? Okay.
4: And during that time, they were lucky to have a lot of friends and family come and visit them. And um, they were able to have that support and love. And they noticed that other people did not have that. I think sometimes... um, people don't want to accept when they see, um, tragedy and they don't know how to deal with that. And so, um, they did notice other people around. And so Yannick left a little earlier before Alex, because he was a paraplegic and Alex is a quadriplegic. Right. And so during that time, another gentleman came in and, um, he did not have that support and family and he didn't have the income either. And so he wasn't given what he needed to, um, live a healthy life. And he did, um, he did, die eventually that um, open their eyes and then open their eyes to what was Got needed to do something in the yes in the community um so one of the first steps was um a lot of people that are disabled don't know how to exercise and it's something that's stimulates your brain your energy so it's something that was important to them and i think janik um was always a very active guy and that's actually um he's of, a
3: marathoner
4: yes he's been in multiple mm-hmm. city
3: marathons
4: yes and right. during his accident, he was, he was um, a strong guy, worked out a lot, and he was able to um, get out of the vehicle that had um, crashed because of how strong he was. His upper
3: body strength. He,
4: yes, because his lower body had uh, lost, um, right. he had lost a function in his lower body, so he could only pull himself out with the strength of his arms.
3: So let's fast forward. Um, I think by the time this show airs, a very impressive major event is going to happen. But let's talk about it. Yannick's organization, Wheeling Forward, puts out an event called
4: Wine on Wheels.
3: And let's talk about Wine on Wheels, what it is. Mm -hmm. And let's not underplay it because it's a pretty big deal. (laughs)
4: Um,
3: Wine on Wheels is April 29th. Mm -hmm. um, And it is at City Winery, which is a large space. And now set it up for me because there's a lot going on there.
4: So um, Yannick comes from a family that was in the wine industry, in the restaurant industry for years. His father worked in the restaurants, his uncles, and um, it was something that was his plan before the accident and after. So he is the the only paraplegic uh, sommelier in the city, or in the world (laughs) that I know of, and um, that is his love. And during his, um, after his accident, he came back into the wine scene he came back in and he wanted to still go for his master's he wanted to still be a psalm on the floor and he had the support and love from all the psalms in the community um michael from per se pascaline um john reagan and everybody was there and um and they all were a community together to help um yannick also to move forward in his wine career so yannick did come back to the wine world he passed some um his advanced exam in the chair, and um, he decided to create a, an event called Wine on Wheels, which brings together all the top Psalms in New York City. Like
3: 50, 60. Yes,
4: this. this and um, a
3: who's who of. Yes. You know. <laughs>
4: yeah. They everybody. all come
3: and they're there mm-hmm. pouring and, you know.
4: All there, and it's it's a feeling of community. It is a feeling. It's different. There's than a any other zillion tasting.
3: wine. Companies, Mm -hmm. distributors Wines from
4: all over the world, yes
3: There's a fee to get in Mm -hmm. Which is, you know, where you cover your costs and make money
4: Yes, there's There's auctions
3: Auctions, Mm -hmm. silent and
4: And live Mm -hmm. And live
3: There's seminars up the gazoot So with the cost of a ticket Mm -hmm. You could go to different seminars by a lot of these sommeliers
4: yes um every som in the city so if you're looking to go out on that for lunch on that saturday good luck with the, finding a nice spot no. now
3: is this event one of the biggest or they've been running you know pretty big for the past few years
4: every year it gets um, bigger. bigger and bigger and um city winery is a big place and it is yeah. filled and um, so
3: let's let's get people involved um Yannick's organization is Wheeling Forward, right? Yes. Now, is there a website? Of course.
4: Yes, WheelingForward.org
3: WheelingForward.org Yes And I noticed there was a website for the event Yes Which is Wine on Wheels Wine on Wheels
4: um, I believe it's .org as well
3: Okay, but I think if you Google it, it'll come up yeah. I did that. Um, it's it's wine on wheels. If you go to that website, you'll be impressed at the event, mm-hmm. and you know, feel free to look deeply into it. You know, participate. It may be too late after you hear this, um, but you know, by all means, um, if you'd like to donate to the cause, you know, all the information will be there. Um, I think Yannick is somebody to look up to and a role model Mm -hmm. and a real activist in this. So kudos to him. All right. So we're going to toast Yannick, Heidi, and I with our weekly wine sip. Mm -hmm. We're going to wrap up the show. Every week we taste a different wine on air. For our weekly wine sip this week, we're going to taste a 2014 Rivers Marie Sonoma Coast Chardonnay. The wine retails for somewhere around 45 55 bucks so it's not a cheap chardonnay but certainly you know not the most expensive it's available at better retail stores and restaurants and via their mailing list this wine is the home brand of rock star and winemaker thomas river brown thomas rivers brown in napa california he consults for over 40 labels um Anything more you could tell me about Thomas River or the wine? Nope. Okay, so we're gonna taste it together. Um two things. Eric Asimov did a column in the New York Times this week on Chardonnays and he loved Thomas Rivers Brown uh Chardonnays, so we're gonna be tasting one of those. And we had the good chance to have Thomas on a special edition of the Great Nation when we were down in Charleston. So it should be interesting. So, Heidi, this is the 2014 Sonoma Coast Chardonnay from Thomas Rivers Brown. All right, let's do the analysis. Talk to me about the color. Oh,
4: it's golden color.
3: Is this an unfiltered wine? It's a little it cloudy. It a little
4: cloudy, so I would okay. say it's unfiltered, unfiltered All right,
3: so it's a golden yellow hue. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go to the nose. Wait, mm. It's been sitting in the glass for a bit what are you getting on the nose Tidy? this is your specialty
4: <laughs> no you definitely get some of that oak jumping out of the glass so the coconut the, the, and the vanilla mm-hmm.
3: is the coconut from the oak
4: the vanilla usually? is definitely yes the vanilla the from it. the oak yeah I'm getting some um some ripe apple notes as well okay. a little bit there but so that on oak the fruit the first some thing. apple right
3: mm-hmm. is it too oaky for you
4: um well the nose the first thing I do get is the oak on the nose um so I would have to see if I can okay. I would have to try the palette before I can. Alright,
3: anything else? You got a little apple?
4: Oh, right up apple. Tropical fruits, I wouldn't say. Okay. You know,
3: I get that. I get a there. little lemon peel. Yeah. Some but the white oak flowers.
1: Mm-hmm. Alright.
3: Let's give it a let's throw it over the tongue. All let's right. talk about the mouthfeel first. Okay. And then <laughs> let's talk about palate descriptors. I'm gonna spit because I'm on a diet Oh. <laughs> so it's a medium to full mouthfeel.
4: Yes, absolutely. I think that that um, unfiltered and fine gives it a little more texture as well. Um, it's a, it's a, a nice example of what it is. I think it's California Chardonnay and it has that richness to it on the palate. Rich, that rich is a good mm. word. Um, the oak is president as well
3: i I picked up right away Mm -hmm. it's funny when you said it coconut
4: yes yeah
3: you know usually you get the vanilla the oak smoke or Mm -hmm. whatever but i I got coconut right away so let's talk about so it's is unctuous a good word full body not full full body body,
4: yes absolutely that's correct Um, all right so
3: let's talk about some taste descriptors Mm -hmm. what are you picking up on this
4: yeah the tropical fruit is still coming through um the oak (laughs) um but the but the acid really does back it up so it's balanced
3: so the acidity is good
4: the acidity is good yes
3: so for a big cabernet the acidity i mean uh, chardonnay Mm -hmm. the the acidity acidity is good which makes it good for food
4: Uh, yes because it balances the um richness of the wine as well so and depending on what you're eating this will go nicely with a lobster
3: so you'd pair with lobster salmon Salmon,
4: be nice with the salmon
3: okay Mm -hmm. um because of the acidity right
4: and also the um the acidity of the oak the 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 um richness of the wine and full body varietal like chardonnay works nicely with chardonnay
3: all right so i'm going to ask you we're going to close the segment with a couple of questions that you have to answer honestly (laughs) is this your style of wine
4: no but i appreciate it
3: okay it's made well Yes. Can you pick that up? Yes. Okay, because there's examples of over-the-top California shards and over there. This yeah. is not that. No, it's, it's well-made? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you have no skin in this, so you're going to be <laughs> honest. Um, is this a wine your clientele would like?
4: Some of them, yes.
3: Okay. Mm-hmm. But it, it would serve some of them well. Do we like this wine, love it, not like it? Where are you at with this?
4: Um, I like it.
3: Okay, so it's a good wine. <laughs>
4: no, yeah, it's a good okay. wine, and
3: it's not the Heidi Turzen House
4: wine, right? <laughs> no. <laughs>
3: okay. Um, all right, so that was the 2014 Rivers Marie Sonoma, Sonoma Coast Chardonnay. Good, well-made wine, but mm-hmm. a type of wine that, if it's your style, you'll like it. If mm-hmm. not, you know, you should seek other things. Yeah, all right, uh,
4: Kistler or Peter Michael's—they would like this. Yeah,
3: kind of wine. Typical mm-hmm. uh, Sonoma wines. Aubert.
4: Oh, that's a good one, too. Yes, those
3: absolutely. Type of wines. All right, we're going to wrap up Heidi. Um, if you have a question, wine happening, or event, hit me up at sam at Grape nation.com. That's Sam at the Grape Nation. Follow us on Facebook at the Grape Nation. We'll post Heidi's wine list answers on our uh, Facebook page. So if you didn't hear any everything, you can get those. Follow us on Instagram, at SBenRuby, and Twitter, at BenRuby. Heidi, this is a good time to ask you if people would like to follow you on social media, Mm -hmm. Instagram.
4: Yes, absolutely. Um, Facebook, it's under um, Heidi Terzin.
3: Heidi Terzin. T-U-R-Z-Y-N. Yes. Um, Terzin. As well
4: as on Instagram. Instagram. H Terzin.
3: H Terzin. Yes. Okay. And Twitter?
4: Uh, I'm also on Twitter as well for Heidi Tourism. Okay. H-E-I-D-I-T-U-R-Z-Y-N.
3: All right. And if people want to dig deeper into Gotham, want to see the wine list, the menu, we're mm-hmm. intrigued by our talks, Gotham Bar and Grill.
4: Gotham Bar and Dot you com. You can also follow them on Instagram, okay. Facebook. Um, we are very active.
3: All right. So that those are all your vitals for that. We want to thank our guest Heidi Turzen. She's the wine director at Gotham Bar and Grill in New York City. We want to thank our engineer Vitor and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation.